And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for every remembrance of your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can take of the emblems that remind us of his broken body and his precious shed blood. And we thank you, Father, for this place where we can gather together in these mornings. We thank you, Lord, it's been made available to us. And we ask you, Lord, to bless the Turkington family for their help at this time, Lord, for morning and evenings. But now, Father, we turn ourselves to the word. And, Father, we ask you that you would take your word, your own divine inspired word, your word of truth, and thy word is truth. And so we ask you, Lord, to speak thy truth into our hearts this morning. For those that are watching live, those who will watch later, those who are here at this moment, we pray you'd bless each and every one of them. And Father, the name of Jesus would be glorified in our midst. Father, we worship and adore you, and there's none like you. We thank you, you gave your son. And even as Billy has sung this morning, his life for mine. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your precious blood. And we ask you, Lord, now, settle us in your presence. Take away distracting thoughts from us in every foul demonic or evil force or spirit that would hinder your people. We pray right now, Lord, that you would bring it under subjection to the name of Jesus. And may thy word have free course in every heart and mind and life this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen. Here in Mark chapter 3, we have the Lord Jesus entering into the synagogue. The word the synagogue doesn't mean a particular synagogue. It was just one of the, the synagogues. And there's a few points I maybe will hopefully look at this morning. First of all, there's the synagogue. Secondly, there's the sickness. There was a man with a withered hand. Thirdly, there was the Sabbath day. Fourthly, then we will look at the standing of the man and the stretching forth of his hand. And fifthly, we want to look at the Savior, the Lord Jesus. The synagogue, first of all, this man, pardon me, the Lord meets this man in the synagogue. The synagogue that he entered into. Notice, as I said, the word the doesn't mean one in particular that we need to make mention of. Or we need to take note of. The idea of this is for you and I to know he went into the synagogue it could have been any synagogue, but it was this particular one on this particular day. There's little actually known about synagogues in the Bible. It is believed that there were synagogues, of course, but we have to understand what it means. The word synagogue really means a gathering. 
an assembly. They would have actually used the synagogue we know from Luke chapter 4 for reading off the Torah or the Tanakh. And they would have taken it and they would have read from it. Our Lord Jesus in Luke 4 goes in and takes the scroll from the attendant or the book as it is and he opens it up and finds the prophecy of Isaiah. And he reads from there, the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel or God tidings and so on. So we know that the word was read there. Many scholars don't, don't know where all of the synagogues possibly were, except where there was a gathering of Jews, there would be a synagogue, a gathering of them. It could have been even in some sort of uh, social housing at the time, uh, like we would call a hall. They take a hall and there they would have their synagogue there. And so it becomes more than just a place for worship, for prayer, and for reading the scriptures. What it became was a place for social gathering. In other words, it was more than just a spiritual gathering. It became a social gathering. The synagogue became the center, the very hub of the community. And there was even judge, there was judgments meted out from the synagogue. There was charities brought into to be given out from the synagogue. And this was the idea of it. It was to have a central uh, part of the lives of the people. It was a hub of the people and the society that they were in. So Jesus goes to the synagogue this day. I've seen recently, as we know, and why we're here in this car park, because of the, the restrictions with COVID and so on, and there's much debate about it, much debate about the churches opening, closing, and so on. And when we think about it, we are the church. The building is the building where the church gathers. You and I, blood-washed, blood-bought, born again, we are the body of Christ, the church which is his body, as the scriptures tell us. We can gather anywhere. You know, I see on social media, um, and I agree, by the way, with it, but I see where it says church is essential, and people are putting it up on their Facebook posts and, and so on, and I agree with that. And I agree, being a pastor, where we have to have somewhere to gather together, uh, to assemble ourselves together on a weekly basis where we can gather where it isn't cold, it's maybe warm for us to gather, where we can spend more time around the table, where we can interact one with the other, where we can talk and have fellowship as well. And I've thought about this much over the last number of weeks, especially the last few days when I read of Jesus going into the synagogue. And there they were gathering, it was a hub of society. It wasn't just somewhere they went on the Sabbath day. It was a hub of society. All manner of meetings and things happened there. And it was essential. It was essential. And as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the church, and I'm constantly on my mind, and I'm sure it's on every pastor's mind, constantly on my mind about the church building open, the church building closed, the, the drive-ins that we are so grateful to have this morning and tonight. And we're actually here, believe it or not, every Sunday night we've been here. This is our seventh month that we've been here. And we're so grateful to have it. But as I've been thinking about this, brothers and sisters, and about the whole 
gathering together. It's difficult in these days for us to do that. But here's what I've been thinking. Could it be? And Romans 8 and 28 tells us, For we know that all things work together for the good, to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And could it be this morning that we're here gathered like this because I believe that through this time, God is sifting the church universal. God is showing us that we need to be in fellowship. That church is essential after all. Believe it or not, there are many believers, many professing Christians who out throughout the whole year, never mind just this last few weeks, but throughout the whole year, you think church was not essential to them because it becomes a Sunday morning thing or a, an every other week thing or an every now and again thing but yet when we're told that churches had to close their buildings, then it's all, oh, we must take our stand. And, and I would like to say to them, well, where have you been all year? When we were preaching the word, when we were meeting together, when we were breaking bread, when we were worshiping, when we're in our prayer meetings on a Wednesday night, when we are meeting at night in the church and in the morning in the church, where were you all year? Where were you last week? Where were you the week before? Where were you when people are faithfully gathering together? Um, now we're finding that church is essential. I agree 100%. But what we have allowed the church to become is an add-on to our lives. It's an add-on to our lives. In other words, we can go to church when we feel like it and we go to church when... It suits us. It's not essential really to many lives. And that's the truth. It's not essential. When I think of the people who have turned out this morning and a minus degree uh, freezing cold morning with the fog there who's made their effort even to gather together to be the church together. It's not what we want. We want to be out of our cars and in our buildings. We want that. But when I think of it, it shows there are still people who are hungry and still think that church is essential. It's essential. You see, the church used to be the full body of the society. It was more than just a Sunday meeting. It was more than just a Bible study. It was first in the believer's life. It was home. It was where they got their food, their feeding and their strength. The whole the whole of the week they were there, they were out ministering to the old, to the young, to the youth, to the children. It was a lifestyle, a change of life to serve Christ. And many, many people, not here to offend, I'm here to hopefully encourage, if it means to admonish, then let it be so. But many believers had, because of our comforts, have allowed ourselves to sit at the fireplace when the doors were open. They've allowed ourselves to not put ourselves forward into ministry for youth or children or the babies or for crashes or for cleaning or, or for the Sunday schools or for whatever else it may be for their outreaches. Why? Because, you see, I'm all right. I'll clock in every now and again. And church is not central. It is not the hub. And it isn't really essential. 
it became an add-on because our relationship with Christ has diminished. Jesus went to the synagogue. He knew where they would be, those who really thought it essential. Through the first lockup, as I call it, when the church was closed for weeks, we didn't know anything about COVID. And we had heard about it. We had heard all the things about it. And I don't want to go into the whole media hype about it, but we had heard about it. And we were shut for weeks. We were still getting in and recording. And we were still getting in live. And we kept the church open in that sense where it was trying to get the word out. It was, and it was a terrible time. It's a horrible time. But I wonder... How many people from that till now have fallen away because their mind was more on other things than they could take or leave the meeting together in a church? No longer was it essential in their life. The Lord Jesus went to the synagogue, first of all, because the Jews would have classed it as being essential, essential to the hub of their life and their lifestyle. It's not much as known. There's a, they found a, an old synagogue in Capernaum, but they even think that's a few hundred years afterwards. There's no real grounding foundation. And many scholars, in fact, most scholars believe that the Jews brought the synagogue from Babylon. And in the midst of it is Christ. He walks into the midst of this. So first of all, in verse 1, he entered in again into the synagogue. And there was a man there. Notice, which had a withered hand. There's the sickness. In amongst all the people. In amongst all the leaders. In amongst the Pharisees. In amongst the, the synagogue uh, leadership there. The attendants that were there. And all the people that were crowded into that synagogue. There, Jesus spies a man. You might say, well, there's many men there. Of course there were. But Christ was there for a reason. And there he spies a man with a withered hand. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in our church, that it's wonderful how the Holy Spirit puts it into the, into the mind of the writer. Where here he, he shows a man with a withered hand. He doesn't see show you the illness first. He he doesn't say there was a withered man. There was a man who had this withered hand. But rather, he doesn't say this withered handed man. See, Christ sees the soul of the man. Christ sees the need of the man. The woman. The person. He's seen the need. The dreadful, terrible sickness that was on this man. The idea here is that this Sickness, this withered hand, gives the idea of, of, of a, the man's hand was normal. He wasn't born with this withered hand. We think of Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are getting to the temple at that time to pray. And the man who was born lame, sitting at the beautiful gate, or the gate called Beautiful, Asking alms, and Peter says, look at us, and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
and he takes the man by the hand and lifts him up and his ankle bones receive strength and the man goes into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. That man was in that condition from birth. The idea of this man with a withered hand is not that like that. He had something come on him. His hand was normal as it was the other one. In fact, if you go to Matthew 12 and you go to Luke chapter 6, we have Matthew's account and Luke's account of this. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6 tells us that this man's hand, it was his right hand. It was his right hand. And this right hand means fellowship. The right hand means strength. The right hand means power in the scripture. Christ is ascended into the heavens and is at the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the majesty on high. It means he's in the place of power and authority. Because he said all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. This man could not shake hands and have fellowship properly with those of his fellows in the synagogue. This man couldn't stretch his hand out and, and have fellowship. And, and this man had lost strength. And his hand had withered up. There's a, a book called The Gospel to the Hebrews. Now, it's not our book of the Hebrews in the Bible. But it actually it's a recording of this actual event. And it tells us that this man was a stonemason. And something happened to his hand. And he hurt it. And it started to waste away the muscle. And it started to retract. And he couldn't use his hand anymore. The man lost his livelihood. We're losing livelihoods this weather. All of this stuff. There's people losing their livelihoods because of this. People losing their, their jobs. People losing their, their income. People losing their livelihoods and their businesses. All because of a lockup of, from the government. We're finding here that this man lost his livelihood. He lost all sense of respect because... That right hand was needed. And when Christ goes in, he sees all these doctorates all around the place. And I can tell you something, friend. And the day that we are living in, the day that we are living in, there's all sorts of stuff from doc, but people with letters like the alphabet behind their name telling us about vaccines and what's not in them and what is in them and and what we should or shouldn't do. Now, I'll tell you from my point of view, friend, if there's any fetal cell in a vaccine at all, you should never be taking it as a believer. There's people losing their jobs. The craziness of the government and the craziness of the, the, the day that we're living in. And people are losing their minds. People are losing their thoughts. People are going mad with these things. And notice here, this man had lost his job. He had lost his sense of worth. He had lost everything that he had because of this right hand. He had lost his income. We find that Jesus comes in and sees the doctor. It's all around him who love, just love to be able to tell this man what to do. And this is what happened. It was this man, Jesus seen the need. 
this withered hand. Jesus was the only one who could help him. And Jesus was in the synagogue that day to meet that man. This sickness, this sickness came on this man with a withered hand. The word withered here in the original text is the exact same word for when Jesus was walking in to Jerusalem and he went to the fig tree and he went to take off the fig tree and he found it was leaves but no fruit. And it was representing the Jewish people of that day, the, the temple and their rejection of him. And there was no fruit on it. And so he curses the fig tree. And the next day, Peter says, Behold, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest, how it's withered. It's the idea it was blooming as it were a tree, no fruit, and it shrunk and withered. This is the word that's used for this man's hand. This is the word that that Mark's gospel is telling us. Notice what it says here. There was a man there who had a withered hand. Christ sees your need, friend. Christ knows the heart. Christ knows the inner man, the inner woman. He knows the hurt. He knows the mourning of the heart. He knows the concerns of your heart, the fretting of your heart. He knows the troubles of your heart and he sees it and maybe you've withered. Listen, maybe you've withered. Maybe you've withered in your walk with the Lord through what's happening. Maybe you've withered in your prayer life. Maybe you've withered in your time of reading the scriptures and spending it with Christ. So many people have said to me, How because of them being at home so much and out of work and things that are happening and no church essential gathering as it were, that the sheep are starting to find it hard and to struggle. They're struggling to keep going in their faith. They're struggling to keep walking with Christ. They're struggling because they they need the, the essential body to come together, to fellowship one with the other. I'm finding here, friend, that people are falling away. Friend, people are falling away from the faith. People are struggling in their faith. Maybe you have a withered hand of faith this morning. Maybe you have a a withered hand that's an illness this morning. Maybe you have a withered hand that's your finances this morning. Maybe you have a withered hand in your mind this morning. Maybe you have a withered hand for one thing or another. You know what that is. Friend, I can tell you, it might be a frosty, foggy morning here. It might be icy this morning, but I can tell you, God the Holy Ghost is here. Christ is here. And he sees and he knows. He sees your heart. He sees you in the midst of the trouble. And he isn't coming with letters of divinity nor letters behind his name like an alphabet of science and Scientology, as it were. But he's here, and he loves you, and he's here to bless you, and he sees your withered hand this morning. He knows all about it. This man had a withered hand. Verse 2 says, And they watched him. 
The idea here is, is these old Pharisees, as John Wycliffe puts it, they espied him in order to catch him. They watched his every move, not to emulate nor to follow him, but they watched his every move, that they might catch him out on something, that they might destroy him. It means, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, notice that they might accuse him. So our third one, first of all, was the synagogue. Secondly is the sickness. And thirdly and briefly is the Sabbath days. The Sabbath days. Notice here, they talk about the Sabbath days. Do you know it was that strict? So strict in the Sabbath days that the Pharisees would have kept the people in line where simple but really seriously stupid things were happening. If you were walking past a stone wall and the wall fell down and fell upon you on a Sabbath day, they and their law, it's not God's law, but their law was that they could, someone could take the rubble from you to see if you were living or dead. If you were living, you were allowed to be taken and lifted from the rubble, but you must be set down clear of it but you weren't allowed to have your wounds attended to until the Sabbath was over. That's one of their laws. One of them was that if a woman wore a bow of material on her dress, if it wasn't sewed on beforehand with needle and thread, then she wasn't allowed to wear the bow because it, if it was just pinned on with something, because it meant she was laboring and carrying the bow. How ridiculous. If you had a bad throat, you were allowed to rinse your mouth with vinegar wine, but you were not allowed to gargle, because that constituted working on the Sabbath days. Now this is the picture that is given to us where Christ enters right in to the heart of their synagogue. And so they're looking at him to catch him, to espy him, to accuse him. And it says here, and they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Verse 3, and he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. Now note this. Take note of this. Stand forth. All of these people, and he tells one man, stand forth. This man had to have it. His need must be greater than his embarrassment. There's many people don't realize that you need to have a greater need than your embarrassment. Because when you're among your family, when you're among your workmates, when you're among your work colleagues, when you're in society, whether you take your stand for Christ or not will be whether you need him, love him, and want him more than all of this or not. This man in the synagogue had to make a decision. 
while I stand forth, it's a Sabbath day. I'll be in trouble. Do I love Christ more? Do I have a greater need than what everyone else will think or say of me? Notice here, it says, And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Here he addresses the naysayers. Here he addresses the religious. Here he addresses them. Listen to what it says. And he said unto them, Is it lawful? Notice the word lawful. The reason he's saying that, he's talking about the law of God. The law of God, not the laws and traditions of the Jews, not the law and tradition of Judaism, not the law and tradition of the Pharisees. What he's saying is, is it lawful of my father's law? They had mongrelized the word. They had ritualized it. And it was full of man's ideologies and religion. And notice what he says. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Notice, but they held their peace. You know why? Because they couldn't argue against the truth of the word of God. In Luke's account, in Luke's account, it says in Luke chapter 6, in verse 8, it says, But he knew their thoughts. It's not amazing. Luke gives us that little nugget in the middle of it. And Christ knew their thoughts. You know what this shows me? He's more, this shows me he's more than a man. He knew their thoughts. And listen, he knows the truth of everything. He knows what you've been saying, what you've been doing, your thoughts, your ideas. He knows those who are against you. He knows those who are against his church and against the people who want to stand for the word of God and the truth in our land. Take note of this, friend. He knew their thoughts. What's your thoughts been like recently? One old Puritan said, if the best man's thoughts were written on his forehead, it would make him pull his hat down over his eyes. How true of each and every one of us. Christ knew their thoughts. Do you see the things that are happening in our land today? We're seeing it looks like the land is getting worse. It looks like things are getting darker. It looks like the world is in so much turmoil that's in a cul-de-sac and there's no way out. I can tell you, he knows the wicked thoughts. He knows the elitist thoughts. He knows the new world order, the one world government thoughts. And he is allowing them to go so far before he says thus far and no further and Christ will come from heaven again. Notice this. Luke tells us he knew 
their thoughts. Notice what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 12. He adds in something a little different here. It says that the Lord Jesus said to them in verse 11, Matthew 12 and 11, And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? Notice, one sheep. And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Here's what Jesus was saying. In the midst of all these people, in the midst of this these naysayers and these God-haters, these Christ-rejectors. Jesus says there's one sheep here and he's fell into this pit of this synagogue and I'm going to show you the power of God and I'm going to show you that I'm more than a man, that I am the Son of God and I am deity clothed in humanity. And so he calls forth the man I can tell you, friend, we are in a cesspit, a cesspit of wickedness, cesspit from the government, cesspit of all the rules and regulations that's being placed upon the people. The place is a cesspit of rules and regulations and laws that are being made in our land. And oh, they're being made every day. Do you ever think and stop to wonder what laws are being made when our focus is so much on COVID? Have you ever thought to stop and wonder what is really going on behind the scenes when they're bombarding our minds to have us focused and trained in one avenue and in one place? Do you ever wonder what's going on in the background? What we're actually missing? What we're not seeing? And it's a cesspit of a government. Westminster is wicked through and through. The American Elections is just something to look at. We don't know the truth of the matter. We don't know the, the, the wickedness that's going on behind the scenes and the, the Hollywood idolatry that's going on there. And all of the people, they're going to have lining up, making sure that we're all good boys and good girls and walking like dumb sheep. But I can tell you, friend, in amongst all the wickedness of our nations and our lands and in our home areas and streets and all the things that are happening I can tell you one thing God knows their thoughts and he sees his sheep in the midst of it all and he will call us and call us to stand up to stand forth and then to stretch out stretch out in faith to trust Christ in these days to trust Christ in these last days to trust Christ until he come again. Notice here. It says here. And when he looked around about them with anger. He looked around about these men. And Christ was angry. Oh there's many people. Don't like you to mention an angry Christ today. He don't like to mention the wrath of God today. He don't like to. They like to call sin little mistakes. They like to call sin little mistakes. They don't like to mention the holiness of God. They don't like to mention righteousness anymore. As many churches don't want to preach it anymore in case they lose the people. 
But I can tell you, friend, we have a God who's angry today at the sin that's going on in the land, at the sin that's going on in our nation, the sin that's going on around the world. And the world is under wrath without Christ. And the man and the woman without Christ is under wrath. People don't like to hear it because You see, it's gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, the lovely little Lamb of God. They like to tell that little story, the little tale. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Friend, that's about them trying to elevate Mary over the lamb. And I can tell you something. People love to have it so where they don't want to hear That Christ has wrath. He looked around these men and the idea is he was angry at their thoughts. He was angry at their religion. And he was angry at their ways. It says when he looked around about himself. He looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Notice this. We want to look at the Savior in a moment, but look, he says, stretch forth thine hand. He said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Notice this. This man has this withered hand. And it's the right hand, Luke tells us. And Jesus says to him, stand forth. That man made the decision. He got up in the midst of those men who would have put him to death for laboring on the Sabbath day. And he had the faith in him. And he stands forth. And the next one was stretched forth. And the man Kudos says, I only have my left hand, Jesus, to stretch forth with. This is impossible. I only have my left hand, Jesus. I can't do this. It's too hard for me. But he didn't say it, friend. Jesus said, stretch forth thine hand. And the man in faith stretched forth his right hand to be healed. And as he stretched in faith, Christ restored it whole as before. So the the withered hand that you have this morning. My heart's too sore. I'm withered. I'm mourning this morning. I'm withered. I can't, I can't get myself together. I'm withered. I'm afraid I'm withered. All of those things that you have a withered hand with this morning. A illness in my body. I'm withering. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not functioning the way I used to. Friend, here's the same Jesus that healed the sick and raised the dead and caused the lepers to be cleansed and the, the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. This same Jesus this morning says, come on, stand forth and stretch forth your hand and stretch it to him, not to me, not to this platform here, but stretch forth thine hand, he says. Friends, stretch it in faith and believe in him. Stretch forth your hand and say, Lord, I'm giving you this sickness in my body to trust you for healing.
to trust you for blessing, to trust you to touch me, to give me strength and the ability to go on and to be able to get through this storm that I'm in. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm giving my weakness. I'm giving my inability. I'm giving my disability. I'm giving my hurts, my disappointments, my disillusionments. Am I giving my dejections to you and my rejections to you? I'm giving it all to you, Jesus, because it's standing between me and you and I can't function right. I can't function properly like this. And I've allowed myself to stop trusting in you and rather trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct thy paths, friend. So notice this as I close. It says here in Mark 3 and verse 5, And he looked around about them, looked, pardon me, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole, as the other. My fifth and final point is the Savior. Friend, the Savior came in the midst. Now note this, it was the Sabbath day. But for this man, for this, woman, this man, for the man or the woman in here today, when you take the word this morning and say, Lord, I was meant to be here this morning. I was meant to listen to this this morning. I was meant to hear this this morning. I was meant to be under the word this morning. You see, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And the believers, we are the church. We are the temple of the living God. He's come this morning in the spirit and the word. And he's come this morning to say this to you. That he knows you. That he loves you. He knows you by your name. The hairs in your head are numbered. Every tear you've cried has been bottled. And he has said this this morning to you. Stretch forth your withered hand. And he will restore you. He will restore you. He will restore the years that the locust and the canker worm and the palmer worm hath eaten. He will restore you back to what you were if you've fallen away from him. You've walked away. Maybe you've fallen away in heart. He will restore it again. Give him your withered hand and stretch it forth. You see, the Savior was in the midst. The Savior was there. And brothers and sisters, listen to as I this is my closing thought in line. Who knows that this would be your day like it was that man's day? Who knows that this is the day that God has brought you here. It was that man's day. He woke up that Sabbath morning. He got himself together. He got himself probably finding it difficult as usual with one arm to work with. Getting used to that having just one arm to work with. But this man... This day, got himself together, got himself up, pushed himself on. And this day ended up in the Sabbath day in the synagogue. 
Little did he know that was the day he would meet the Lord. That was the day Christ would come. That was the day for the answer of his prayer. That was the day. Well, if this is your day, And notice, not one man in the synagogue, not one religious man, not these people. We can't do it for you. And we certainly can't save you. It shows you how sin had brought forth this sickness into this world, the fall of Adam. And here is a man representing our sin. And the Savior was in the midst and only he had the answer to the problem. Where you are, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? I want to pray for you. Would you bow in prayer and let's ask the Lord to do something this morning in our hearts and our lives in the midst Eternal Father, we ask you this morning that even as we're here, we're sitting in cars. We're on a platform. We're standing around car park. We thank you for each and every one you've brought today. Father, may this be the day. There's people here who need a touch in their body to stretch forth out with their hand in an illness. We pray, O oh God, that those who have been to doctors or hospitals have had reports, maybe having been favorable, we pray now in Jesus' name, Father, that you would meet them and tell them to stretch forth their hand in faith to you. Lord, would you strengthen them, but would you heal them in Jesus' name? We pray, O oh God, maybe it's something in their mind, something in their heart, something in their body. Lord, as people have come with family issues and family needs and financial differences. And we pray, O oh God, that you would meet them at the point of their need. We pray, O oh God, that this morning, this would be a day when something miraculous, something marvelous and something mighty would happen in their life and in their home. Lord, there's maybe ones here and of a withered hand of, of their spirituality and their walk with you has withered. We pray, O oh God, that this would be a day that you'd speak into their heart. Lord, that they had come back, Lord, and they would, Lord, surrender themselves and stand forth again from the crowd to be able to say, it's for Christ for me. It's Christ for me. It's Christ for me. Father, will you give them the ability to do so? Lord, there's maybe someone here and they found themselves here. They're not even saved. And Lord, they're still withered, as it were, dead in their trespasses and sins. But Lord, they've realized that only Christ can save them. We pray, O oh God, that you will reach them this morning and glorify your name in this. Father, we ask you, Lord, for those that have the withered hand, Lord, of, of a mental illness or maybe a physical illness or, Lord, whatever it may be. Lord, we feel you're doing something. We feel you're speaking. There's someone maybe here this morning, Father, who has come and needed a word from God. We pray, O oh God, that this would be the day that they've gathered together in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that you've speak into their life, speak into their heart, and change their circumstance. Oh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would do a mighty and a marvelous work for them. So, Father, to that end, would you bless, would you encourage, would you strengthen, would you uplift and uphold them. Lord, as we lift up thy name and bless thee, Lord Jesus, we pray. 
that you, Lord, would have the preeminence in all things that are prayed and said and done and sung. And, oh God, may you alone be seen and known to the people of our nation and of our families and, Lord, in the church at this time. Glorify your Son. Glorify your name. And may thy Spirit have free course in our lives today for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask it. Father, we worship you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask it, Lord, that you would, Lord, be exalted in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, brothers and sisters. Thank you this morning for coming, for your attention and your attendance. And we trust you'll come at 6 p.m. tonight as we gather together in the name of the Lord. Let's make it essential to gather as the church again.